Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. So welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast, where each week I'm joined by some of the world's most renowned faces in the entertainment industry, on the sports field, corporate leaders, and inspirational thought leaders around the world, each sharing their own truths and personal journeys. Today, we have none other than Chris Gethin. He's a world-renowned bodybuilder, Ironman finisher, ultra-marathoner, CEO of Cage Muscle Supplements, co-founder of the Chris Gethin Gym franchise, and celebrity personal trainer. He travels the globe hosting fitness seminars, workshops, exhibitions, and training the best of the best, passing on his knowledge and techniques to his fans and followers. Chris has transformed millions of physiques through his video series you can find online. He's the author of numerous best-selling books, including Body by Design, The Adventures of Cage Muscle, and The Transformer. He's also the founder of the DTP Training Method, former editor-in-chief for bodybuilding.com and director of trainers for Physique Global. As the CEO of Cage Muscle, Chris has elevated the brand to be the highest rated and reviewed supplement company in the world. And guys, this feels like a full circle moment because this man is one of the most inspirational people to me personally, purely because... He got me through the latter end of my own personal mental health struggles with body dysmorphia, which we are going to touch upon today because we've been talking for the last couple of weeks and I let him know and he had no idea. So this is a full circle moment for me, which I'm very, very excited about. And I cannot wait to have this discussion, find out more about Chris's story but just let him know, attesting to the story you sat on, somebody out there is waiting to hear how much one person can shape and impact somebody else's life for the better. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on, buddy. Well, like I said in your bio before, this is a full circle moment that I briefly mentioned when we were chatting the other day that... Um, you're a big attributor to uh, the success of IPC without you knowing it, because when I went through my personal battle with body dysmorphia, being in the fitness industry, it was you that I came across. Anyone that knows about body dysmorphia, it is a form at the side of OCD, regimented, copy everything down to a T. And I came across one of your programs many moons ago on bodybuilding.com. And yeah, I just wanted to say... A personal thank you, because I, I don't often think people know or realize how much they can impact someone's life. So, yeah, Imperfectly Perfect campaign, mate. Part of that was a testament to your, your programs and your talk on mindset, nutrition and your program. I really, really appreciate that, because like you said, you know, when you put out a lot of content, you don't know if it's being received. You don't know if it's going to have an impact. You don't know if people are going to apply it. You know, a lot of people are students of learning, but very few are students of application. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that, mate. It is, uh, you know, very touching to know that, you know, the technology that we have today, you know, when we put out stuff, that it actually is being received. Because as you know, with, you know, body dysmorphia, social platforms can be a hindrance. So if it can be a help as well, then hopefully it helps uh, balance it out. 
Yeah, well, mate, you made a big difference in my life. So thank you on that. Right, we're going to take it um, to your story. I mean, you're so successful on every single platform that you've done now with, with what I've just spoken about in your bio. But can you take it back? Because I know, again, we briefly touched on this. Like, you're from Wales, presumably a small a small place where many people like myself in Yorkshire don't get out and go and change the world the way that, <laughs> the way that you've done. So where did it start for you? And what was the mentality and drive behind it to go out and, and take on the world of bodybuilding? Well, there, there wasn't a plan by any means. It was more so stumbling blocks. You know, as I stumbled somewhere, I kind of fell somewhere else and just uh, put my feet down in it. So I started off you know, living on a farm, really. So I wasn't in a town. I wasn't in a village. I was living on a farm. I was in the middle of nowhere. I was an only child up until the until I was nine years old and my sister was born. And uh, I was very comfortable uh, just being by myself, not really, you know, hanging out with a lot of other kids. Didn't do well in school. Didn't enjoy school. Didn't like team sports. Nothing like that. I was a very much an individual person. And, uh, you know, I took up motocross at a very young age and I did that for quite a number of years. I did 10 or 11 years, like pretty much full time, like every weekend we were away somewhere racing, whether that be the summer uh, races or the winter races is racing somewhere. So I didn't really have a social life as a teenager either. And I was fine with that because I absolutely loved uh, motocross. But then uh, when that came to an end, because I was just dealing with so many injuries, and, um, you know, I kind of lost my identity there for a while because that had become my identity. So I, you know, turned to alcohol, turned to drugs. I guess my teenage years of socializing and partying really came to fruition now when I'm in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, because I, I guess I don't I didn't realize it so much at the time, but I realize now that I definitely was dealing with depression. I was dealing with some anger issues. And I guess you know, turn into alcohol and drugs. And this is the beginning of the rave scene in uh, the late 80s, early, early 90s, I'd say. Um, you know, that was an escape for me. Uh, but it definitely didn't, didn't do me any favors by any means, you know, because I knew I didn't want to be in it. Every Monday I'd wake up and go, God, not again. I'll never do that again. And then all it'd take for Friday to come around and someone give me a call and it, it started all over again. And um, it wasn't until I started going to see a physiotherapist because I've seen a lot of specialists over over this time for the the issues that I was dealing with in my back more than anything I was dealing with several injuries but it was my back that was the worst I was bed bound there for a while and um, when I started doing resistance training through physiotherapy I started to get alleviated of the pain because now the because I wasn't working hadn't been working out with weights when I was racing motocross it's all mountain biking it's all endurance work and uh, I started to kind of get alleviated of the depression at that time. So I started reading more about training and nutrition and, and stuff like that and found that I was able to retain this content that I wasn't able to retain in school because this is something that actually interested me. I was fascinated by it. And then I decided to go and sign up for international health and sports therapy course, which was a three-year course to learn more about it. And I guess that is what then was the platform that got me out of Wales um, because, you know, I love Wales, but the social circle that I was in at that time just wasn't a good one. So I used that qualification that I got after three years because it's internationally recognized to then go and uh, work on a cruise liner out of uh, Florida for eight months. So I took on a contract there and that's what kind of then led me 
to different countries and to where I am now. That's what got me into like the bodybuilding circles. And before um, I actually went on the cruise liners, when I was at college, I thought, well, let, let me see how far I can take this. And uh, I decided to do a bodybuilding show. I looked up uh, bodybuilding shows. There was one in uh, Barrie in Wales, about a year and a half away. And I thought, okay, I'll start training for that. So uh, from the time that I picked up a weight to one and a half years later, I actually stood on a bodybuilding stage, had no idea there was natural bodybuilding competitions and, and, and uh, bodybuilding shows that were untested. And I went into an untested show that was, um, but I was natural. I had no idea they were, these guys were on, on drugs or anything like that, you know? Because I remember someone coming up to me saying, what did you take to dry out? And I was like, asparagus and vitamin C. And uh, <laughs> I remember him kind of looking at me a little bit odd and I'm looking at him a bit odd because I didn't really know what he was getting at. Uh, but I got second in that show. I was definitely the smallest, but I was very, very dry and uh, shredded. And that's what kind of got me hooked on it from then on. Wow. I mean, that right there, what you said when somebody said that about tested or unnatural, that was one of my downfalls when it came to body dysmorphia because I was living in Bondi and you used to train in Kudji in Australia. Yeah. I was hanging around with people that, that truly at my age, I body beautifuls. And I wasn't as naive as to thinking some weren't taking something, but when everyone was saying it was just additional chicken and I was taking more chicken and it wasn't working, it played with my head. So that was my downfall. And I didn't understand it at the time within Sydney and, and training. And I just needed someone to tell me the truth. So it wasn't playing with my head. And I was like, what, what's going on here? But when it comes to bodybuilding and moving forward, I mean, one of the things that I took from you when I started learning from you was it is big in terms of mindset as well. So how important and integral is that when you're training a lot of your clients and, and something like you said, you went through depression. How did that transpire to making you get out of your head and that, that depression state yourself? Well, I think for me it is because I had a goal. I needed to have purpose. Uh, if I attached myself to a purpose, then I was good. I was fine. And uh, I like to stay busy because I'd always say, if I think too much, it makes me think too much. So having that distraction back then really, really helped. But it's all psychological, 100%. You know, when I look at a, a client's transformation, I really don't consider what has happened from the neck down. I considered what's happened from the neck up. Because, you know, you'll have some people that hold down three jobs. They're a single mom. They've got three kids or whatever. And they have an amazing transformation. But then I'll, I could have another client who has no commitments. Everything's good but he'll have a real terrible transformation because he's just not got the commitment. He has the intention, but not the application. You know, it's very, very different. It's very, very difficult. Some people just see success and other people focus on the now with, this, with the sacrifice. You know, some people are dopamine fixed for the future and other people are oxytocin and serotonin for the now, because if they're successful today, then that will lead to, to tomorrow, which will lead to the future. So I think it's all psychological. If I'm speaking with a client and they've come to me for the first time, a lot of the time I'm not always giving them a program to follow as such. It's like, OK, let's see what time that you can go to bed and make sure that you have a good night's sleep. Because if they don't have a good night's sleep, then they're gonna feel down. They're gonna possibly feel emotionally charged. Uh, they could have cravings. You know, there's a lot of things that come from it. And in this entrepreneurship world that we live in today, which you have to burn the candle at both ends, it's not good. 
a lot of people are dealing with a lot of psychological issues because they're pushing themselves too much. Or then, you know, you have the other end of the spectrum, like you said, people compare themselves to other people on social networks and uh, all it does to them is show their inadequacy. Yeah. When you when, when you move forward with that and it opened your eyes to becoming um, an editor for bodybuilding.com and you really delved into the bodybuilding world and moved in, what was that like when you're surrounded with, with so much competition? Did you notice the difference in the psychological aspect with people in that industry? And did you realize that there was a market for you to step into and help them transition their mindset as well away from just looking on the aesthetic towards their mind? Yeah, I'd say it happened uh, quite a bit before that. Um, it probably happened while I was still in Australia because I'd, I was running a gym there, had a gym uh, that, I, that I purchased after a couple of years and uh, I wanted to help more people and I started contributing to magazines when I was there. I taught myself how to how to write, how to uh, photography and started contributing to publications and then doing a lot of these interviews and speaking to a lot of people and obviously helping a lot of people. That's when I realized, okay, there's some people that obviously have these issues like, you know, in, let's say the, in the bodybuilding world, especially youngsters. And, uh, you know, I understand it from a competitive side of things, but sometimes it gets a little bit out of control. If you were to give, those people, let's say a pill and say, look, you could possibly be at the top of the tree, but it means you taking this pill and it could take 20 years off your life. They'd do it. They would do it in a heartbeat because they are just charged by what other people look at them. It's a very egotistical sport, you know, and people like the accolades and people like the, the likes, but that doesn't lead to anything, you know? So I find that, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's got any better. I think it probably has got worse, uh, but it's something that we have to continue to work on and try to help people beyond the, the next 10 years or the 15 years or the 20 years, because they don't have the foresight of the future. And the worst thing that you can deal with in the future is regret. You only have to go to like um, a retirement village or a whole, you know, a hospice or an old people's home and you'll get a lot of regret there. And a lot of these people could have all the money in the world a lot of money, but they regret that they didn't have adventure. They regretted that they weren't happy. They regretted that they didn't do more for their spouse or their family members, you know? And, uh, you know, the more that people could realize that or converse with these people, the better. Did you, was there a pivotal moment for you, I'm really interested in this, when, when you realized that yourself in terms of you was competing, you, you was doing all this content, the gyms were opening, and then, like, you've trained some of the best of the best, and, and, and no doubt we've seen that money doesn't buy you happiness, fame doesn't buy you happiness at times. It is all in here. Was there a time for you when you was like, I'm concentrating on too much on that, and I need to pull back? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Because, like, I can get a sense of overwhelm. I'm, the, I'm one of these people that wakes up with anxiety every morning. Every morning. Um and I guess I do, use, I, I try to balance it. I try to use the anxiety as a positive because it allows me to get a lot of stuff done. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I wake up and I've got like 50 emails, I've got 50 WhatsApps. And I'm like, okay, I start filming at this time in the morning at say 11 a.m. I've got to get all this done before I start filming. Because after that, what if I have more messages? I'll not be able to unwind in the evening. And it's very, very important for me that I get that 
alone time or that unwind time in the evening. So I have that kind of sense of anxiety um, and I try to control it, but it has got a little bit out of control. And I, I'd say a few years ago, when it came to a head, I realized I had to kind of go all or nothing. And I went on a, like I'd, I'd, I'd traveled overseas, done some uh, plant journeys, plant medicine journeys. I gave that a shot because I was willing to give anything a shot at the time. And uh, it wasn't until, so that was, you know, ayahuasca, going to Costa Rica to do ayahuasca, doing ketamine therapy in a clinician sort of setting. Um, it wasn't recreational by any means. Uh, you know, there was an intention to it. And it wasn't until I went on a 10-day Vipassana, which was a silent retreat, that I really felt that really helped, where I was able to acknowledge my own thoughts, my own feelings. Like, it's definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done but it was the most rewarding if I look back on it because it gave me so much awareness of trying to look at everything with equanimity because there's a lot of people that go into these 10-day uh, Vipassanas and they leave after the first four or five days because it's so difficult. You, you can't make eye contact with anyone. You can't converse with anyone. You can't read anything. You, you know, you, you go in with nothing basically. And from six, five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning, I'm trying to remember now, six o'clock in the morning, I think it was until nine o'clock in the evening, you're meditating. You have two small breaks. You're fasting for 18 and a half hours a day, eating a vegetarian diet. That was the easy part, actually. But being alone with your thoughts was the most difficult part because you start thinking back to your childhood. You think about confrontations that you have. You think about apologies that you should have made or whatever. And it all comes to the surface. And it's such an emotional journey just being alone without any connection to anything outside other than yourself. And we tend to connect with everything other than ourselves in today's society because we've got the smartphone, we've got the computer, we have anything that can be delivered at any time from Amazon, Uber Eats, whatever. We can binge watch Netflix. And now we're surrounded by a lot of EMFs and non-native EMFs and Wi-Fi and you know all these plastics and acids and you know the pollutants and the herbicides and whatever that's all having a possible possible disruptor to our brain because we're, we're suffering with so much inflammation. So I think going away for something like that really, really helps people. And it definitely helped me just to connect and kind of realign myself to understand that, you know, managing stress or meditation is very, very important for our health. Yeah. Wow. Meditating and fasting for that long. It's, um, when you're looking for something else, I suppose, when it comes to you training the best of the best and you've been across many countries and different cultures, what have you noticed there when it comes to those blockages within training? Is that is it the same all way around with mental? Like you've been with the Bollywood actors a lot of time. What's the stigmatized thing around mental health there? Yeah, same thing. Same thing. Like, you know, I've worked with a lot of celebrities now. And uh, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them deal with a lot of mental issues. You know, they're, they're speaking to psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, because a lot of these people don't get out. They can't get out. Or maybe they've told themselves that they can't get out in public because it's just too much hassle. It really, really is, you know, where they're just followed everywhere, paparazzi and, what, and whatnot. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of issues that they have to deal with, unfortunately. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, they've... that. 
some of these people are such hardworking people. You know, I worked with one client and he didn't take a day off for eight months. He was just constant go, go, go. A lot of people think they have it easy. They mm. definitely don't. They really work for their bread and butter. Um, but some of them have come from an upbringing where I guess, you know, where they feel that, that they're always owed something and they'll always get what they want because they're not used to people telling them what to do. They're used to telling other people what to do. So then it can be very difficult from a transformational standpoint or from a physical standpoint for them to reach their goals. Because if you tell that person, you've got to do this and now you're going to get very, very uncomfortable because now you're going to be so structured. You're going to have to go to bed extremely early. You're going to have to be on time when you meet with me. You're going to have to be very uh, accurate with your ca uh, calories or whatnot. And you have to be very independent of any mistake that you make. You can't blame it on your chef. You can't blame it on anyone else because you are now in charge of you. And it's very, very difficult for them to comprehend and make that transition because everything's done for them. You know, even if you tell them, okay, in your post-workout shake, I want you to have this, this, and this. They're not making it. Someone else is making it and someone else has given it to them on a silver tray. You know, so it's a very, very different world. And uh, a lot of things can go wrong when there's a lot more, I guess, chefs in the kitchen, you know, yeah. uh, trying to do the same thing. So uh, that can be a difficult, but you know, it's, it's, it's all things that are work around. You just have to approach it from a different standpoint. And you can't really take any shit. So if a client wants to show up like more than 10 minutes late, I'm not training them. They have to understand that there has to be structure to their lives. And it's when there's no structure, they can go to bed whenever they want. That's when everything kind of unravels for them. What would you say within the industry, because um, you're so prolific in that industry with bodybuilding and nutrition and mindset and everything, I actually found it hard through this campaign and I reached out to a lot of people within that world with a lot of the guys stepping forward. Like I, I go to LA before the pandemic and not being for three years, can't wait to get back. But I know a lot of people in the bodybuilding world and it was very hard to actually get people to step forward and really open and expose yourself, especially as a man. And we know that mentality of man up, it'll be fine. But What's your advice, and especially to man, because people see you and they see the masculinity, they see everything that you do, but you're very open about speaking like this. You wouldn't be as, as successful as you are and how you train and get people through those mental blockages without. So what, what's your advice for the younger generation coming up within that world that don't talk about the feelings, even though that game can be mentally exhausted? Well, it's just like anything, you know, if you think about Alcoholics Anonymous or people that are dealing with drug issues or drug abuse or whatever, when they're left to their own devices to try to treat themselves, the likelihood of failure is very, very high because they're not being transparent. And when you're not being transparent, you're not putting your sincerity on the line and you have to be, you have to put your sincerity on the line if you want some accountability. And it's the accountability that's going to help you get better it's going to be you know if you're dealing any with any i don't know childhood issues or or whatnot um or maybe you were bullied in school and that's why a lot of bodybuilders get into bodybuilding because they create this shell outside that makes them feel stronger confident more powerful but it's the same child within within themselves that was bullied at school so it's very difficult for them to expose that child again and talk to somebody like yourself or talk to anybody especially as a guy you know because like you said it's a very 
uh, masculine nature. And, you know, if you're talking about your issues or problems or anything like that, it doesn't feel, it feels like you're not the, the opposite to masculine. So I think it's just been trying to find maybe somewhere um, an inner circle, even if it's online, uh, where you can be transparent and you're not judging. Because like, I tell my clients all the time, if I'm coming down on them, I'm not judging you. I don't care. I don't, you know, you don't have the right to judge me and I'm, I don't have the right to judge you. But I'm just trying to help you be better. You know, so if I, if I come across a little bit tough, it's because I just want the best from you. But I need you to be transparent. That's the only way I can help you. If you don't tell me exactly what is going on, how can I help? And, I, you know, the thing is, it's just that, you know, I think it is better if some of us approach these people, if we see that there's something, you know, a little bit wrong, is just approach them. Say, hey, look, if you ever want to chat, I'm here because I've, I've dealt with some of these things before. I, or I know somebody who has dealt with it. I've got, I have friends that are dealt with PTSD from being in Afghanistan. These people can help. They've got a podcast, you know. If you go out there and just, you know, show people that you do care and it isn't being um, or it isn't, you know, you're not demasculizing yourself by actually being transparent, then I think that could be a one step forward for sure. And like there's a lot of, well, the, I was, was going to say forums, but I don't know if forums exist so much anymore now. But there's, there's a lot of social platforms where people can ex expose themselves and they don't have to have their own name they could have a, a, a sub name where they can kind of communicate with someone to get some help yeah i think that was one of the biggest things when i got through my issues with body dysmorphia and i continued in the fitness industry because of the love for it and the love of connecting with people and i spotted it in the gym and namely it was a lot of the guys and the girls that looked really good and i noticed that they wouldn't look in the mirror i mean two types of body dysmorphia i got obsessed and it got up it got ridiculous with me to like two hours looking in the mirror at a time just has things changed with my body and no and then yeah it went it went really dark at one stage but then I noticed the other flip side of it people weren't looking in the mirror and I was like well when you're squatting why aren't you watching I can't look at myself in the mirror I was like why is that so it actually enabled me and there's a saying that Les Brown always says is like the story you're sat on somebody's out there waiting to hear because you never know how much you can change someone's life but a question I ask everyone Chris is through everything you've been through, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? Imperfectly perfect. <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, imp what, is, what does imperfectly perfect mean for you? I guess it's just, you know, trying to find a way where you feel just content and happy with yourself. Because to a certain degree, I understand that it's okay not to be completely content because it gives us the purpose to drive forward. Like, am I happy with the physique that I've currently got, no, you know, but that gives me the purpose to go out and train hard every single day. Now I know father time is against me, but I can still be the best version that I can possibly be and try to beat father time. You know, like I do a lot of biohacks, I do anything to reverse my biological age and try to focus on my health first, because I know if I focus on my health, that includes my mental health, then from an aesthetic point of view, then that will come. But it's not my priority. That comes as a as a, as a, as a, as a, as a sub to what I'm trying to achieve. And um, with that, like for instance, like you're on about looking in a mirror. Like a, a lot of the time, I'm covered up in the gym because I didn't get into working out because I love bodybuilding. I got into bodybuilding because I love working out, and I don't do it to look in a mirror or for you know check me out or an egotistical side of things. 
I just love the mental therapy from working out. I absolutely love it. You know, the worst thing for me, and I'm going off track a little bit here, is like when I go, I've had stem cells several times. Now, in order for stem cells to really do their work, you have to stop training for a, a good two to three months. I take it to the extreme to three months. And that is very, very difficult for me. Very, very difficult because when I've had injuries in the past and I've gone and done like some Ironmans or ultramarathon, well, at least I've still got an outlet. I may not be training, but still I can do an, an ultramarathon or whatever. But when you've got, when you've had stem cells, you don't have that outlet. So I don't have that therapeutic value from exertion. So that can be very, very difficult. But, you know, going back to your question, it's just having a form of content, but balancing that with the drive to still pursue. Because if I'm fully content, then I could be like someone who's retired. And then the universe basically says, well, there's no purpose for you anymore. We're going to get rid of you, you know, because you don't have that drive to move forward. So I think it's a bit of a balance of both. With, with that being said, just got a quick question that came to mind is with professional athletes, with bodybuilding, with anything, a lot of people presumably tie their identity to that as well because they've been doing it for a yeah. long time. What advice, because you may have been predominantly known in that industry, but now you're a businessman, an entrepreneur, franchise, author, motivational speaker, you're here, there and everywhere. What advice would you give for anybody that is all in when it comes to tying their identity because that's when a lot of people especially athletes lose themselves after they come out and don't realize what to do with themselves yeah good question uh you know dorian yates is a very good friend of mine and uh, he's spoken publicly about this when uh, you know he gave up bodybuilding because it wasn't his choice it was injuries that put an end to his career and uh i i was pretty close with dorian after he retired um, and he was dealing with a lot of things, a lot of, you know, he was in a dark place, in a very, very dark place because that was his identity, you know? And uh, I think what is the best is, is something similar to what I've done is that I've, I've dabbled into other sports. You know, of course, yeah, you can get into business, you can get into investments. You know, I, I love real estate and investing in real estate. That's what my father did after uh, he left the farm, still does now. And uh, but that doesn't still that doesn't give you the excitement or the drive that a physical sport or something like that does. So I'd say start dabbling into something else now. You know, like I I did like Spartan or Ironman or Ultramarathon. I uh, I love mountain biking. I love mountain biking. I raced downhill mountain biking for a while. I'm not racing downhill mountain biking now, but I just love it. You know, it's some sort of physical exertion that is fun to me. So I'd say start, you know, that may not be for you, but start dabbling in other things that gives you that kind of reward. It may not be the same, but some type of a reward because think of, you know, bodybuilding or whatever you're given sport is as a drug. Now you're going to have to get yourself off it bit by bit. You can't go cold turkey, but bit by bit. And there may be another drug such as mountain biking, such as triathlon or whatever that will give you that feed that you need that will take you into your later years, you know, because I could cycle for years and years. When I was doing, uh, you know, uh, some Ironmans, I remember seeing people out there in their 70s, you know, and I'm like, this is phenomenal. This is yeah. great. <laughs> and, you know, the social circle that you plug yourself into in these events are amazing. These people are great. And you start training with them and you start plugging yourself into the local community that also does triathlons or, or whatever. So I'd say start dabbling in other things, you know, 
of course, you may not exceed in one thing and you may not exceed in these other things, but the participation is very, very, is, is fun because like I always used to compete to win. I didn't want to get second. Second was horrific for me, absolute horrific. And I would cross, I'd fall into abyss of depression, whether I got first in a bodybuilding show or got second, because I was just focused on that one day instead of the journey. But now if I go and compete in, you know, like an Ironman, I don't care where I finish. I just want to finish. I just want to participate and have fun. So I think that comes with maturity as well, but actually experiencing it. Wow. And from the trajectory, everyone sees your career, like from an external point of view online, we could think, wow, Chris has just gone from this, this guy in Wales to then did got into his sport, got this, now he's here. And everyone, as we know, with social media in this glass house, everyone sees the now, but what is the actual journey with that? How many failures did you have to go through? How, how hard was entrepreneurship? Like presumably you go from there to a writer to this, you learn photography yourself, which we've got in common. Um, and now you are this entrepreneur with this huge franchise and, and the DTT, a DTP program, and you're constantly on the go. What's the reality of that, that people see this quick or short way to success online these days? Yeah, that short way took me like over 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it took time. And I guess that's just what people see online. Um, but, you know, there was no, there's never been a plan. I just try to live for today and see where it leads to tomorrow. Of course, I've got a future goals. There's no doubt about it. But my future goal is just travel, adventure, live in a van for, you know, six or eight months. You know, that is where I want to be. But, you know, what I'm doing currently, that's just not feasible. You know, I like I'm I literally work seven days a week, even if I'm on holiday, because I've got clients around the world that I need to uh, be answerable to. Um, but, you know, for, for people that are out there and they just want to exceed in whatever they do, you have to enjoy it. You have to want to help people, obviously, in this industry. And, uh, you know, you want you want to see people succeed. And the only way that you can do that and work Saturdays and work Sundays and work while you're on holidays is actually enjoy what you do. And I feel extremely lucky to be in a position where I am, because like I said, I left school completely uneducated, didn't know what I wanted to do, felt very frustrated because, um, you know, I just couldn't accomplish what I wanted or, or what was expected of me at a young age. Thankfully, my parents are phenomenal and never put any pressure on me. But there was a lot of failures. You know, I got chucked out of the country um, in at the end of 2010 because my uh, immigration lawyer hadn't filed for an extension, unbeknownst to me. So I had to get out of the country thinking that I'd be allowed straight back in, but I wasn't. So I had to foreclose on two investment properties here. I had to foreclose on my home in Boise. Um, you know, I had to find homes for my pets. Uh, had to have all my furniture put in storage. You know, this is while I'm in the UK trying to get back in. So that was a very, very difficult time. Very, very difficult time. But I just didn't give up. And that's, that was the time that I was launching a book. And I went to India to uh, do a signing. And uh, that's kind of what plugged me into India, working with celebrities over there and starting a gym franchise. And then obviously with, um, you know, with Caged, for instance, I decided to walk away from Caged um, about, was it six weeks ago now? That was a very, very hard decision. Very, very hard decision for me. You know, walking away from a lot of potential money 
um, you know, if I was there as part of the exit, obviously, then, you know, I, I would I would have a portion of that. But I decided that just was not where I wanted to be because of the direction where I was going in life and obviously the direction the company was going. You have to just feel your own purpose on what is right for you because there is going to be a time that you're going to be on that deathbed and you're going to have to question some of the things that you've done in life. Now, you know, at that time, I'm not a religious person, but do you want to be regarded as like a sinner or do you want to be regarded as somebody that's left a positive, positive legacy? And I definitely want to be the latter. So, um, you know, I always think to the future. Of course, I don't think to the future, like I said, dopamine for the next thing, next thing, next thing, even though I have been a victim of that for mm -hmm. sure. But look to the future to see, are you going to be happy with the decisions that you've made? You know, there's going to be a lot of failures along the way. And at the time, you're going to think, whoa, me and why me? But there is a reason to it, you know, as cliche as it sounds, but there is a reason to it, you know. Uh, you may not know now, you may not know five years from now, but it'll come. Yeah, totally, totally right, mate. Well, what is next for you? What's coming up? Um, and where can people find out more information about you? Uh, well, number, first of all, yeah, if, if anyone's want to find me, they can find me on like my Instagram is probably the best place or they can go to my website. So my name is Chris, K-R-I-S, last name Gethin, G-E-T-H-I-N. And uh, for me, well, I'm just filming my daily video trainer at the moment. It's called the Legacy Video Trainer. So this is going to be my last fat loss trainer. I'm actually going to be guest posing at the end of this. This is the first time I've, like last time I stood on stage guest posing was like 2009. A lot has happened since then. A lot of injuries have happened since then. So um, we'll see if uh, how, how I pull that off. And then I'm speaking at a couple of events this year. I'm going to be in London speaking at the, a biohacking event called the Health Optimization Summit. I'm going to be speaking at another event, which is the Biohacking Summit, I think it's called, in uh, Amsterdam in October. I'm going to be training a celebrity for a couple of months as well, July through to September. And uh, then I'm going to go for stem cells again in uh, Colombia. I believe that's going to be in December. And I want to try to do whatever I can to be in a position to take a few months out just living in a van uh, with, with my wife and with the dog and just travel around the U.S. and uh, obviously be able to work as well at that time, but be a digital nomad for a little while. Nice, man. That sounds amazing. And no, no plans to come back to uh, the old, the old haunt of Kuji in Australia. Yeah. Well, I've been, to, I was actually speaking to Mets and he wants me over there to, uh, to do an event with him. I've done a couple of events at Titan fitness. So we're in talks at the moment. So, so that may happen in 2024. That could be a possibility. And I hope so, because I've got a lot of good friends over there. You know, one of the guys, Mark Costanzi, who really inspired me uh, about natural bodybuilding, because I remember I went to a natural bodybuilding show when I first got to Sydney and he was guest posing. He was Mr. Australia at that time. And I looked at this guy and I'm like, there is no way, no way is that guy natural. Impossible. Like he was shredded veins all over his abs and his chest, like the condition. You'd, you'd, you wouldn't even see a lot of that on pro bodybuilders today, you know? And uh, I actually got to be very good friends with Mark and became his training partner. And that's when I realized this guy is natural. There are possibilities. And a lot of the impossibilities that I had in my head, I was obviously living under a very low ceiling just blew off. 
and I, and it just really opened a lot of possibilities of what could be done. You know, of course we have different genetics. Some people are just naturally huge anyway, but this guy just was just on another level, like seven days a week. So that opened my eyes. So I'd love to come back and uh, meet up with a couple of those guys as well and kind of thank them for, uh, you know, what they, what they did for me. Wow. And yeah, let me know when you're over because I want to buy you dinner for all the help that you gave me, mate. It's so funny well, that you would never have known. <laughs> if we can find a British place that does a Sunday roast on there, mate. Oh, I was talking about this the other day. I said to my friend, I was like, we need a good Sunday roast. And he was like, you know what? Every time in Sydney you Google, they have one Yorkshire pudding, one potato. I'm like, that's not a bloody Yorkshire. That's not a Sunday roast. Like, come yeah. on. You need a well, carvery, we'll a good carvery. Exactly, man. Yeah, carvery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I just want to thank you for your time. Um, guys, I'm going to put all the links up to where you can find more about Chris. Make sure you check out his stuff um, and get some of his books as well because, yeah, this guy changed my life. Um, not kissing your ass there, mate, or anything, but, but you truly did make a difference in mine. So, guys, just remember everything about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. It's about having the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.